Well, good morning. It is February 2nd. I want to do a brief segment, a thought, a snippet, if you will, on sports today. Um, first off, Tom Brady has announced officially his retirement um, from the National Football League. 22 seasons, 7 Super Bowls, 3 MVPs. I mean, the guy has done it all. Greatest high. Let's just put it this way. Most decorated player in all of sports, over Michael Jordan even. Um, he holds every possible record. If you were to say, who is the Michael Jordan of the National Football League? It's Tom Brady. That is the gold standard. This generation of young people coming in to their own are going to compare Tom Brady to what my generation compared Michael Jordan to. Absolutely awesome. He'll never hear this podcast, but congratulations to Tom Brady on doing the right thing even when uh, the media wasn't always fair. The deflated ball conversation is ridiculous. They all did it. Um, Spygate had nothing to do with it, yet somehow he rose above it all, and he proved that it was more about him than it was the team because you know New England hasn't been the same since he left, and frankly, uh, winning a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay is kind of a big deal. So kudos to Tom Brady. Uh, breaking news came out yesterday on the 1st about the Washington football team uh, announcing their new mascot. And they will now be called the Washington Commanders. And I have to say this is hilarious. Um, I'm all about geographical mascots. They check that box, you know. And I'm not a Washington fan. I'm a Cowboy fan. They're, you know, long-lifetime uh, rivals. There's a lot there. But there's a hundred years of history with the Washington Redskins name. And I know that, you know, a lot of people, um, that um, are out there are offended by that term Redskins. I don't usually use it now because they're not a team anymore and you can now call them the commanders. But the reality is, is that you had 90 years of history that went with that franchise and you're basically keeping the same color scheme, the burgundy and gold, and you now have this mascot, the Commanders. I think that they held themselves kind of too close to the fire with the color scheme. Even though they had a, a legendary, you know, um, era with those colors. I, I remember when the Houston Oilers left Houston and went to Nashville. Um, they changed their color scheme a little bit. Um, it, they still kept the baby blue and the red and the white. But they also incorporated a navy blue tone and made it a little bit more you know unique i think having added a little dark blue to the color scheme for this may have made it or a little white would have made it look a little bit more presentable because it's the america it's america's capital right and you're using the term commanders so now you have this like very you know i'm gonna be honest it looks like the color scheme for a communist manifesto like it's just red and yellow and it's meh and i think it's hilarious because it's just so generic it's absolutely generic i would have preferred the red tails or the red wolves or something along those lines but the fans spoke they said they wanted the commanders it's a geographical relevant mascot for the franchise i get it but even the logo looks very generic and don't tell me it's supposed to look like the military give me a break like, I just am not, I'm not a cowboy, I'm a cowboy fan, I'm not a Washington fan, 
so I don't need to care. But in terms of like waiting for the suspense of what the mascot's going to be for the Washington football team, this was absolutely hilarious. And there are going to be two years of sports card collectors like myself who are going to have Washington football team sports memorabilia, sports cards that are indicative of a period where they were trying to do the right thing and change their mascot's name. I'm going to be honest. Like, I've always felt that the name was historically obsolete. Like, at the time, the term Redskins was one that was both meant with a sense of fervor as well as racism. And you can't, you have to change with the times. And I feel like it was relevant for the Washington Redskins to change their name because it's so blatantly racist. Just in the term skins, red skins, seems a little blatantly obvious. And I love how the Today Show aired this at 8.15 this morning. So it just happened. And they're on the football team. They have um, their quarterback and they have, you know, some representatives of the franchise. They're on the football field. And they're talking about this logo, this mascot, this color scheme, the jerseys, the uniforms. And they're like, I can get behind it because it resonates with the fans. And it, it really talks about, you know, the 90 year history of the franchise because it was one of the first ones. And all I can think to myself is, you guys really did a layup here. Like, you really could have hit this out of the park. There were a couple that really came to mind that really would have enhanced the the, the team's um, pride had they really took a few minutes to really dive in. But they, they limited themselves because of the color scheme. So, um, the only kudos I'm going to give to Snyder and the Washington Commanders is kudos on changing the name after not doing it for about 20 years, even though people thought it was. And to the people out there in cancel culture that want to talk about the Blackhawks or the Kansas City Chiefs, like, they're coming next. I am absolutely offended as a historian that you would want to get rid of Native Americans in all sports. I think that they very much are important to the history of the United States. Um, they are the indigenous people of this country, of this country. They were here before us. They are certainly very much important to the story of America and not including them in it is racist. Like that's my opinion. So, um, it's a quick segment. It wasn't meant to be this drawn out thing. I just more or less wanted to put my opinion out there. Um, very generic commanders, mascot, not impressed. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more originality out of it because you had a real opportunity. Like the Jacksonville Jaguars is another one that's got a Navy base near it. They could have done something military related or something a little bit more unique, but they're in the, they're in the Everglades. They figure, ah, you know, we can, they're not even in the Everglades, but they're near it. And they figured, oh, we can do something that involves the jungle or the tropics. Let's do a Jaguar or the Carolina Panthers. Another one, very generic. It's like, it makes no sense, some of the mascots. They just suck. And I think that you geographically have to have mascots that represent your area. Obviously, Pirates are in Tampa Bay. Cowboys are in Dallas. Steelers are in Pittsburgh. 49ers are in San Francisco. You know, Seahawks 
and the mascot logo makes sense. There, there are certainly Seahawks in Seattle, and they have, you know, uh, kind of in a way, uh, a Native American feel to their logo. So some of it is really relevant, some of it isn't, and it really drives me nuts, these teams with generic ones. You know, oh, let's just put a horse on it. Or let's put a cow like the, you know, it's just, come on. We, we need, we need that original. The Tennessee Titans, AKA the New York Titans, AKA the New York Jets. Like, can we do better with some of the names? They just kind of suck. I'm not even a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals, but their logo and their helmets are so historically relevant that I guess you have to have them that way. But I'm going to close out with just saying, they had an opportunity here with the commanders. They kind of checked a box, but it's not like it. It's amazing. And maybe in a couple years, they'll revisit the logo. But even the logo's kind of fallen flat. They took the old, the new old Washington W and just put some lines through it. I mean, it looks like somebody did it out of AutoCAD at a high school. Like, there's just no thought put into it at all. Congratulations, Washington, on being generic once again. As always, please like my podcast, follow my podcast, and if you like them enough, share them. Um, Until next time, everybody love everybody. Hey everybody, some bonus content um, to kind of put a feather in my cap so I don't have to talk about it again, and that is that the ABC executives have decided to suspend Whoopi Goldberg a woman who's been a part of American culture for the last 40 years um, from The View for two weeks after having very, um, how do I put this, very racist, very prejudiced comments about how the Holocaust wasn't about race. She had a huge misinformation that she fed into the ether, and I think that ABC had to be incredibly aggressive against it because... um, we're really in this country trying to um, dampen the fires on racism, and it's not just black people that are getting race getting racism against. It's Asian Americans. It is Jewish Americans. It is people that um, suffer from disabilities. It's it's a whole line of things that prejudice comes in forms and it's not just the African-American community that is being alienated and segregated from the table. And I think that Whoopi Goldberg being the figurehead of that show that to me is very Marxist, um, has kind of forgot about that. Now I, I haven't watched a lot of her shows just like Whoopi Goldberg. I would I would tell her to go watch a Joe Rogan podcast before she goes and starts accusing him of being things. I'm not going to accuse the people of the view of being bad people or Marxists or whatever, because at the end of the day, I don't watch their smut. I think that it's very hateful driven, whereas Joe Rogan stuff is more informative and there's not as much drama that is skewed in that show um, to try to force an opinion. Whereas with kind of Whoopi and the people on that seg on that show, they really get paid for having wild ideas. We'll just put it that way. And, you know, to Whoopi Goldberg, who's been a part of 
the American experience for she's probably pushing 70 or close to and more importantly somebody who identifies as you know uh, an African American in this country she has a civic responsibility to be very cautious about the things that come out of her mouth because because she's a black woman she has a tremendous amount of power on the television and what she says whether she wants to believe this or not just like how the white the light the far right wing of our country cling to everything trump says even if he's wrong and even if after he's wrong even if he admitted he was wrong um that they're gonna say he said it he had to unsay it because he he had to unsay it because of the pc people right people would have said that trump said that but with with Whoopi Goldberg saying that the Holocaust isn't about race, she got off with saying something incredibly wrong and factually incorrect because she's uneducated on the matter. She seems like she's educated on some things, but when it comes to the Holocaust, she clearly is not well-read. Because if she was well-read, it wasn't just racism. It was every kind of ism that the Nazis were forcing down on, the, on their citizens and people in Europe. It was like 10 million people that died because they weren't superior. And quote, while Whoopi has apologized, I've asked her to take time to reflect and learn about the impact of her comments, Godwin said. The entire ABC News organization stands in solidarity with our Jewish colleagues, friends, and communities. So, to Godwin and your Jewish colleagues... If this was a statement that was made about Muslims. If this was a statement made about Muslims that was just as brandish and just as factually incorrect. Would you have suspended her for those statements? I'm just asking. Maybe. Maybe they would have. But I don't, I'm not so sure. I would argue that ABC and the entertainment industry as a whole... There are a lot of, quote, Jewish colleagues in the space. We'll just keep it like that. I think a lot of people were offended by her statement and they were allowed to discredit her statement by suspending her for two weeks as a result of it. But, quote, words matter and we must be cognizant of the impact of our words. Staffers in her memo explaining the network's decision to suspend her is... Was, was built on the, and predicated on the comment of it not being about race and man's inhumanity to man. I, I don't think she was trying to be hateful in her statement. I really believe she thinks racism is mutually exclusive to black and brown people. I think that she believes that racism can only exist against white people, against black and brown people and Asians. I don't think she looks at prejudice the same way because her life experience has been of a black woman in America. And even though she is on a talk show and she's probably been introduced to other perspectives and experiences, I don't think she's ever been able to empathetic empathy to apply empathy to anybody else's struggles because she has an agenda to push. And it's kind of like when my mom tells me about things I don't care about, right? It's like when I'm trying to show my wife my sports card collection. That woman could care less. She goes, yep, 
Yep, nods her head. Very cool, Ryan. Very cool. And then walks out of my office. Because she doesn't care. You know? And I, I don't mind her not caring, but you get the point. Like, Whoopi Goldberg will have, you know, a Jewish person on, 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 the, on the show here probably in the next month. Because they're going to pander to this. Because she's got to come off, like, sincere in her apology. And they're going to have a tough conversation about it. And she's going to nod her head. And she's going to act agreeable. And she's still not going to give a shit. And that's how most people are. It's not just Whoopi Goldberg. That's how most people are. When you're on your hill, you could give a shit what other people think. You don't want to be proven wrong, right? That would be way out of bounds. So... Having just discussed this, having just put this out there, I think that suspending Whoopi Goldberg, um, I don't know if it was appropriate. I think what would have been better is for them to have an entire week centered around the Holocaust, World War II, and discuss the different forms of prejudice and racism and hate that occurred during that period of time. And if you really wanted to dive deep, into racism look at the government of China and what they've done to Christians and Muslims in that country and the concentration camps that are currently in place there and try to apply those to the current problem in the world with racism real racism the kind of racism where your life is is on the line because of something that you believe I mean, some black people would argue that they deal with racism every single day. And I would agree that they probably do. But you can't discredit every other form of prejudice because it doesn't fit your narrative. Because you want to continue to give lime, to give the light to Afri- the African-American experience and the African experience in the world. And how it's been consistently bigoted against we can, we can have both. We can have both, Whoopi. We can have both with all forms of hate. Not that we should be talking about all the bad shit all the time either. Because that's what the view is really about. It's about hate. It's about hate. It's about alienating a certain part of the country. It's about making other people feel bad about themselves. And building up another, like it. The term the view is very offensive. I think that it's not the view. It's the view of only five women on a panel. And the people that's, um, that, that write down the stuff behind the scenes that ultimately derive what this view is. It is a view. That's what it should be called. A view. Not the view. Because the means that it's the only one. And it's not mutually exclusive at all. But to, but on this show, it is mutually exclusive. It's about, look at me, I'm a victim, this is who's the villain, let's get them out of power. They talked about the Joe Rogan Experience podcast last week, and how Joe incites fake news. And he doesn't incite fake news, he incites conversation, and that's the premise of the show. And sometimes, he does bring on real people with real experiences that have a real vested interest in seeing things go a certain way. 
But then typically he has somebody on the far left. The problem is the people on the far left aren't listening to his podcasts because they think he's a fascist. So now he's in a microcosm. He is in a mess of a situation because he is going to chase the dollars and the dollars are with the Jordan Petersons, are with the Ben Shapiro's, you know? You look at the people that he brings on, I'm sure if you looked at the statistics, a lot of moderate centrist conservatives, white males even, are listening to his podcast. That's his base. Over 200 million people listen to his podcast in the world. And it's in his best interest to have people on that will bolster those views. There was a guy on YouTube that showed how many views he had last year. And it was like 60 million views he had last year. And he got a $60,000 paycheck from YouTube. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, Joe Rogan is in the same kind of sphere, even in small segments on YouTube. And he's still in that same space on Spotify. Like, Spotify can sit here and act self-righteous all they want and act like the Joe Rogan should do this and do that and he should apologize for any kind of misinformation he feels like his show may have lit out over the last, you know, three or four years. But that man has consistently asked his staff to look up the factual answers to his people's statements in that moment to try to hold people more accountable. Like, what do more do you want from somebody when it comes to trying to be balanced. I mean, I feel like Joe Rogan is making a real effort to be in the center here and everybody else is getting mad at him because they're not dragging him on their side. Joe Rogan is not a right winger. He is a liberal. He is a Democrat. He is somebody who advocates for transgender rights, universal income. He is somebody that supports things that I don't. But I support his podcast because of the... The people he allows on his podcast, the ones he gives a voice to, which I'm sorry, because somebody thinks differently than you does not disqualify them from having opinion that should be heard. That's part of the problem. That's how civil wars happen. That's how, you know, terrorist events happen is by stifling the voices of people because they're different than you. And the Democrat Party and Congress have been asking Spotify to do more in terms of regulating what can and can't be said on Joe Rogan's podcast because he has so many listeners and has the reach that he has that he has somehow a responsibility to do the right thing and, uh, you know, call out hate. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint anybody, but that's not Joe Rogan's responsibility, just like it's not Whoopi Goldberg's responsibility, right? If you're going to hold Whoopi Goldberg to a brash statement where she's been factually incorrect all the time, right, she gets suspended for two weeks. Joe Rogan could lose his entire show because his entire podcast, which Spotify wanted so bad they gave him $100 million. It's kind of a big deal how much money they gave him. They knew what they were buying when they bought Joe Rogan. They knew what they were getting. They gave him so much leverage. They said, your show never has to change. You you don't have to hire anybody to consult. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. Here's $100 million. We'll see in a little bit. And, And he's kissing the ass of Spotify. Like, 
It's $100 million. That's a lot of money. I get it. But Joe, listen, bro. Like, you shouldn't be cowering to the far-left mob and Spotify because they want you to be more liberal. Like, come on, man. Like, you've done your due diligence. Even in the show, you've questioned people in real time about their shit. But see, people listen to Joe Rogan. People listen to his podcast. And they get something other than a political opinion. They get actual substance in his in his podcast, in those raw conversations, because it's not edited, because there's not a narrative being formulated. You feel like you're getting the entire context of the conversation. Whereas with The View, it's a lot different, right? People aren't getting that balanced approach. That's what most people are yearning for right now. It's not a far right leaning. Like, people aren't watching Fox as much. People aren't watching CNN. They're watching people that are independent of those sources. And they're getting a neutral opinion on things. And they're getting real news out of it. They're getting a real live opinion about what the culture of the country feels in that moment. Like, you have to be aware of those things. What hurts me the most is that Whoopi Goldberg, who has a platform that is, you know, not as large as Joe Rogan's, is allowed to, to, to tout hate. And this is a woman last week that was saying that Joe Rogan needed to be punished. And ironically, she's the one being punished. And Joe Rogan is continuing to have to fight uphill, um, trying to discredit the hate that is being spewed his podcast because people aren't going to watch his show or listen to it. Anybody listening to this podcast has an open mind like I do, might have some conservative ideology somewhere in their bones, and they probably listen to some Joe Rogan. They're probably not watching The View. But I also feel like the suspension of Whoopi Goldberg is a statement to even Joe Rogan. That's why I'm bringing this whole thing up to wrap this up. I feel like if Whoopi Goldberg, a far left-leaning person who can make an insane statement about mice of men and can make a huge statement about the Holocaust not being about race, can be suspended for two weeks, that's CBS or ABC, sorry, Disney, going out of its way to tell Spotify, listen, we're holding our people accountable, now hold yours accountable. But it's not like when Whoopi Goldberg comes back from her suspension, she's not going to be just as loud and obnoxious as she was before. She'll be allowed to be the same empty, shallow, angry old woman that she's been for the last 10 years. But if Joe Rogan gets suspended, it's going to be a lot more than that. Because, see, they can stifle Joe Rogan because he has a contract with Spotify that prevents him from going on any other platform. If they don't like something Joe says, they can just pull a show off their platform. That's what I'm trying to say here. And to Joe Rogan, when I saw that you signed a contract with Spotify last year for $100 million, I was like, kudos, bro. But I was also very concerned because I know the position of the employees there at Spotify were already trying to stifle you the first week you came on to the right into the organization. It's not going to get any better. You're going to have to fight this stuff for a while. And the only reason you're getting the kind of scrutiny you're getting is because you signed a $100 million contract. You could have continued to be independent. You could have continued to make a lot of money. You could have continued to be 
the same honest, forthright person on your show without that $100 million contract. You probably wouldn't have got $100 million overnight, but you would have had your freedom. And if anybody's listening to this, if you have your own content, um, you should never sell it. You should never allow rights to it. You should never allow a vendor to have the rights to your voice. Even if this podcast ever, if it ever blows up, it'll always be independent. I don't care if it if it gets the conversations going and I get a big contract that allows me to do it for the rest of my life. I don't care. Because for me, what it comes down to is what is ethically correct in the world. And opinions are allowed to make some money. But how much money is enough money? And to Joe, I don't know how long your Spotify contract is. I'm sure it's for at least 10 years. You messed up, bro. And I hope you realize that as you sit in your mansion in Austin. Like, congrats. Love your show. Love you as a person. I think you're a fantastic human being. But you cannot leverage yourself lose leverage because somebody thinks that what you are is not what you are because people like Behar and Whoopi Goldberg are going to go out there and they're going to make a mockery of themselves and throw you under the bus everybody I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, it was a blow up uh, it was Joe Rogan it was Whoopi it was a whole entire thing I hope it provided some context maybe gave you an opinion um, personally um, I wish Whoopi Goldberg the best i think that she is a good person at the end of the day i just think that she's a victim of her circumstances and i think at her late age in the world um she really doesn't have time to be open-minded to other people's perspectives i think that that show is toxic it's been toxic since it came on the television it's never been designed um to relate to the centrist and its shows so If you like my podcast, go ahead and share them, like them, do what you want. If not, uh, I understand. Um, Every dollar I make from this podcast goes to a charity toward veterans. This time it's Wounded Warriors Project. Um, There's a Tunnels for Towers I'm thinking about doing um, for veterans who need homes. Um, We'll talk a little bit about that in another podcast here coming up about veterans who are so blessed um, after they get out of their service to get um, um, assistance grants for homes cars the whole nine yards and i can tell you some stories about those veterans there are some good stories and some bad ones so we're going to dive into those um, in a future podcast so keep your eyes out for that all right everybody enjoy your week everybody love everybody Good morning. It is February 11th, and I'm reaching out to all of my listeners because I have a hot take. Not really a hot take because everybody's talking about it, and that is the 22 NFL Hall of Fame class. And I just have to say, the Anthony Fauci of NFL draft classes just happened this year. And let's just start off with talking about our boy, Dick Vermeil. Two movies! It took to get this dude in the Hall of Fame. First, Invincible or whatever, whatever the hell it was, where they had um his him they 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 had a player that I don't even remember his name. But he played for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he played a small role in that movie. Then, full circle, they do another movie with Dick Vermeil. 
and they finally get him in because he's old. He's a nice guy. I mean, he's nice enough. But I have a serious issue with the NFL draft class. I mean, the, 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 uh, the Hall of Fame class. You can't just glance over a DeMarcus Ware or a, a, uh, a Calvin Johnson or a Jared Allen or a Devin Hester, just to name a few. Like, one of those four dudes should have got in this year. Probably DeMarcus Ware. And I am a Cowboys fan. I am a Cowboys fan. But I'm going to name off the names of the players that were selected in this year's draft. And some of them um, were charity cases and others were hatchet jobs. The first one is Tony Baselli. Sound familiar? Does anybody remember a Tony Baselli? You don't. Because Tony Baselli was an offensive lineman for the Jacksonville Jaguars during the 90s. And was on the all-decade team. Now, his candidacy has always been quality. As in the highest quality over quantity. Given that his career was limited to 91 games. 91 games because of a soldier injury. He was selected to five Pro Bowls. And was one of the four tackles chosen for the all-decade team in the 90s. And he was elected because in all seven seasons he played, he allowed only 15 and a half sacks. His signature moment, and there were several along the way, was a playoff game in the 96 season, at which point they defeated the uh, the Buffalo Bills uh, in the playoffs. But nobody remembers this dude. He played 91 games. A man that played 91 games stifles the first mile of Hall of Fame candidacy for DeMarcus Ware or Calvin Johnson. Absolutely insane. I don't know if this was his last year for eligibility, but this is a name you put in at when it's when he's in the bottom five. You don't you don't put this dude in like as your number one person. This was their number one person this year. Number two, Cliff Branch played from seventy two to eighty five for both the Oakland and Los Angeles Raiders. Was considered the fastest player in the league for much of his career. He had like a thousand yards in nineteen seventy six, something like that, and he had a whopping forty six receptions. You know, 46 receptions doesn't get you shit down. He was an all-pro three times, and he played in three Super Bowls and won three Super Bowls. And he led the league in touchdowns twice. Again, not saying that Cliff Branch doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but the fact that it took this long for him to get in, another name that stifles a first ballot candidacy for who? A DeMarcus Ware or a Calvin Johnson. Yep, I said it. Next is Leroy Butler, which might be the only player anybody in the common era remembers. A four-time All-Pro with a rare combination of skills. He had 38 career interceptions to go with roughly 20 and a half career sacks and 13 forced fumblers. 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 Butler was part of the Packers team that went to the NFC Championship game three consecutive times reached two consecutive Super Bowls, only winning one. Why was the man elected, you might ask? Um, I mean, I think it pretty much speaks for, him, for itself. He had three seasons with at least three interceptions and at least three sacks. He was ambidextrous. He could play both the run and the pass. 
and a signature moment um, was uh, in 1993. Um, he scored a ladder on a lateral move from Reggie White. Again, another player that has been eligible for quite a while, played 11 seasons. Um, his last season was 2001, which means his eligibility was 2006. Stifling a Demarcus Ware again. This is a disgusting portray of just lobbying in the NFL PA, the Canton, Ohio, and the Hall of Fame. Like, there is mob rule on the streets, folks. There is absolute mob rule on the streets. This is so blatantly obvious. And I know, I know, I know we got bigger things to worry about. We've got the Russia-Ukraine situation. We've got rapid inflation. We've got all these little things going on. And we have a lot bigger things to worry about. But this is getting, this is highway robbery. Nobody's talking about this. Or they won't be talking about it after they vent. And we'll we'll talk about it three more times until these guys are inducted. But then we'll look at the 2023 NFL draft class completely forgetting that there were two names on this year's ballot that deserved to be added to the list. And they weren't because somebody knows somebody who knows somebody. And that's exactly what happened here. I think last year the Dallas Cowboys had two Hall of Famers. This year, none. And DeMarcus Ware may have been the only one that probably was deserving of a first ballot Hall of Fame next to Jason Witten, I, I can think of. So now we get into the to the brass tacks of, you know, Sam Mills, a linebacker, played for several years. Five-time Pro Bowl selection, NFL career, don't really care. Again, only played until 97, was been eligible for two decades, still got in over DeMarcus Ware. And I think the most powerhouse decision was Richard Seymour, which, by the way, Richard Seymour, I, I know this guy real well. He played from 2001 to 2008 with the Pats, and then he got paid for four years playing for the Raiders, and he sucked. He sucked. I mean, he played for one year really well, but he was trash in Oakland. I mean, he was not good. And he took the money. He chased the bread. And I think there needs to be something to be said about that. People who chase the bread, who go into a new system, and they are not as productive as they were in a different system, that speaks volumes. Seymour was so good that the Pat the Patriots coach, Bill Belichick, once said after a game when Seymour had not been credited with a tackle and assist or a quarterback hit, that Richard Seymour was the best player on the field today. Such was life in the interior of the Belichick defensive line. Bottom line, though, you know Seymour was a dominant player in the 4-3 and the 3-4. Could play both outside linebacker and defensive end. And he won three Super Bowl rings. Kind of important. Why was he elected? I think it goes without saying. Seymour was a versatile and productive, given he knocked down 30, 39 passes during his career, knocking down 39 passes is a big deal. They're almost just as good as a sack. Had 57 and a half sacks and three fifty tackle seasons. His signature moment during most of his career, Seymour was manhandling double teams. But as a rookie, he blew up a play for the Raiders. Running back, Zach Rocket. Nobody knows that dude because he sucks. Was stopped for no gain on a third and one. Little more than two minutes to play in the AFC Divisional Round game that followed the 2001 season. The Patriots stole that game from the Raiders. Now, let's be very clear. Seymour 
is probably the most deserving of this entire list. If we're really looking at this holistically, if we're looking at this from the satisfaction in the prism of light, like Seymour might be the only one that I would have dropped and said, okay, he got snubbed a couple times. Let's put him in, but that's fine. You put him in three or you put him in the four slot. That's not what happened here. There were so many big names that were in the queue for this year's selection. It was almost unheard of that he didn't get into DeMarcus Ware or Calvin Johnson were not selected. Because the field of candidates that were remaining or available were not as prestigious. Noteworthy. It's ridiculous. This is somebody being petty at the Cowboys. Period. And lastly, the coach is Dick Vermeil. Listen, Dick Vermeil, love the dude. Very religious, kind-hearted, soft-spoken. He was a motivator with words. Um, and he did it in an untraditional sense. Um, he won Super Bowl, I think, 34. Um, and it was a great game. But if I'm being fair here, people are not evaluating his career based on what he did in Philadelphia or what he did in Kansas City. I mean, he wasn't a great coach in Philly. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. And in Kansas City, he wasn't good either. He's been an average coach that got really good with a Kurt Warner, a Torrey Holt, um, an Isaiah Bruce, a Marshall Falk, a, tre- a tremendous offensive line. Absolute disgusting that these that that I'm having to critique this Dick Vermeil <clears throat> situation because I, th- I if 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 that Kurt Warner movie doesn't come out and they had to do two movies I said it I'll say it again they had to do two movies to get this man inducted the timing couldn't have been more perfect it wasn't a Christmas movie but they dropped that shit during Christmas I wonder why because it's still fresh in your mind by the way you can get the movie right now um on DVD or on digital copy sorry not plugging that movie It's a, I heard it's a good movie but I'm not paying for it bottom line is when you see draft classes like this um, you really question the process or the designation of the first ballot hall of fame I know that Isaac Bruce um, deserves to be in the hall of fame not in there or not Isaac Bruce sorry Tory Holt Calvin Johnson Devin Hester DeMarcus Ware, just to name a few that I can think of off the top of my head. Like, all four of those are going to get in the hall at some point. Because they all had a considerable impact on the game. But I'm going to be fair with you. When we look at the, the history, Seymour might be the only name. Sam Mills could have passed on that. Butler, fine. Cliff Branch, wide receiver for the Raiders. I'll say it again. Why this year? Why this year for Tony Baselli? Like, those are three players, and, and you could have added another slot if you wanted to. You could have added a fifth, I mean a sixth or seventh slot for one of those players because they deserve it. I mean, DeMarcus Ware was a tank. He was a freak, and he won a Super Bowl in Denver. He was the best defensive player. Von Miller was young and in his infancy at that point in the league, but DeMarcus Ware was the anchor of that defense when they won a Super Bowl. They the most dominating defense in the league in Denver. And when he played for Dallas, he had multiple 20-sack seasons. Holy shit. Seymour didn't have no 20-sack seasons. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this segment. It's just me ranting about the NFL selection. I hope more can be said later. 
as always, please, you know, share the podcast. It's important. Because every dollar I make from this podcast is going toward a disability for a veteran. So please reach out if you have any questions. As always, everybody, love everybody.